Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Um, choose our life of worship. Last week we looked at this concept of surrender, surrendering in worship, and we looked at how we can kind of continue to push the boundaries of what we, what we feel is acceptable in worship, how we can respond in worship. Surrender helps us to, to dethrone ourselves, we said, helps us to get off God's seat and put God back on his seat. And we can think about surrender in many aspects of our life, not just in sung worship on a Sunday, but how are we surrendering our lives uh, to God and letting God work more, use us more. Um, Jesus gave us this beautiful example of servant leadership when he came to earth and the way he led his life and the way he lived and the way he served and essentially put many people before himself. And, uh, and so if you missed that talk, you can catch that on YouTube. That's up there on our channel, like they all are in this series. Surrender helps us to intimately connect in worship. We had a beautiful time of worship today, didn't we? A sense of God's presence, uh, a sense of intimacy uh, in the room. Someone just came and spoke to me, so they almost felt, smelled like God's fragrance here today in the room. And it, it speaks of that in the scriptures. It speaks of the fragrance of the Lord. And uh, there's just a, a beautiful sense of God's, the words imminence, the sense of God's closeness to us uh, as we worship. And uh, surrender helps us to connect intimately with God. And that's what I want to talk about today, this word intimacy. And all the blokes are going, oh my goodness, intimacy, you don't want to do all my intimacy. When we talk about intimacy, we're normally talking about proximity, aren't we? We're talking about closeness to another person. An intimate dinner date for two with a candle, a sense of intimacy. Or maybe an intimate setting, you go to an intimate uh, gig or an intimate venue, and it's a sense of proximity and closeness. And uh, We have intimacy expressed in all sorts of different ways through friendships. We have those friends who we can truly be ourselves with, don't we? Yeah, you've got those friends, you can let your guard down and, you know, be yourself and just, just you know, they see you in your gym jams and wildfires is a great place for that. You get to see people in all sorts of different states of themselves, uh, particularly in the mornings, we get to see people as they really are, as they emerge from their tents. I was carrying a pair of hair straighteners one day from one tent to another, someone looked at me with a strange look. Um, we get... We get we get intimacy in friendships, people that we can be ourselves with. We get intimacy in relationships. Uh, when we commit to somebody else deeply in a relationship, we have that deeper sense of intimacy. So intimacy is about being close to someone else. But it's also about this sense of being seen. This sense of being revealing more of who we really are to somebody. Really being seen by another person. In fact, intimacy is sometimes described like this into me see a sense that somebody else can really look into you and see you as you really are and everyone's getting lower and lower in the seats now intimacy is about being fully seen all the parts of you seen by somebody else and intimacy can be challenging for us because normally we spend our whole time crafting this facade that we let everyone else come into contact with don't we? Most of our lives, we craft this facade that we design uh, for people to meet. So we create this exterior person that we want people to engage with when they meet with us. Um, 
And we usually spend a lot of time trying to control that, control what that looks like, how we appear, how we look to others, how we're received. We can hone that outward self and spend most of our lives just engaging with people outwardly. And we spend a lot of times hiding our inner self. Because inside is where all the mess is, isn't it? Yeah? Oh, it is, trust me. Inside is where all the messy stuff is, is where all the stuff that we haven't honed, the stuff that we haven't got finished, the stuff that we may not want to let other people see. It's the place where all our unfinished thoughts are, or our, maybe our, our hopes and our fears, our dreams, our darkest thoughts, all that stuff is on the inside. And we spend a lot of time keeping people away from that. Because if they see that, well, they might judge us. Or they might reject us because they get to see what we're really like and what we're really thinking. And a lot of anxiety in society is around us maintaining that outward appearance and feeling that someone actually will see us as we really are. Anyone have that fear? Two people. You're a really well-adjusted group in here. <laughs> Either that or completely deceived. But we'll crack on. But the thing is, you see, God sees it anyway. God sees it anyway. It doesn't matter how well-crafted your exterior is, God sees you as you really are. He sees all the stuff on the inside. He sees all the messy stuff, all the unfinished thoughts, all the, all the stuff that's going around in the swirl. He sees it all. He sees it all on the inside. When the prophet Samuel was looking to replace Saul, Saul had been killed in battle now, looking for a new king. And uh, he went to see Jesse. Now, Jesse had some fine sons. And Jesse got all his fine sons out and he lined them up. And he presumed that Samuel would pick one of these fine upstanding men to be the new king. And this is what it says in, uh, in 1 Samuel. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel... Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this lad, Eliab, must have been a fine, upstanding, strong, handsome, kingly type man. And the people thought, well, he's an obvious choice to be Saul's successor. But the Lord whispers to Samuel, says, actually, I do things differently. I don't look on the outside as people do. I actually look on the inside. I look at the heart. We live in a culture that worships the outside, don't we? Literally worships the outside, worships the exterior, worships what we look like. But we serve a God who does not look at the outside. We serve a God who looks at the inside. So we're in this constant push-pull of being in a culture that looks on the outside, but serving a God who looks on the inside. We spend so much time focusing on our outward appearance, but we worship a God who looks at the inside, at the inward appearance. God is primarily not concerned with what you look like on the outside. He's concerned about what you look like on the inside. How much time do you spend working on the inside compared to working on the outside. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Imagine, I was thinking about inventing a new app called InstaSoul <laughs> that revealed the true condition of your insides and you could post that on the internet. Wouldn't that be great? 
Loads of people posting all their inside stuff. That'd be really fly, wouldn't it? I'm sure loads of people want to post really what they're thinking, really what they're feeling, and really what they look like on the inside. I'm sure that app would really, really take off. Not. Um, but God sees us. God sees us on the inside. God sees us truly as we are. Jesus was often found in conflict with the religious authorities of the day, the Pharisees. Often he found himself being confronted by them or confronting them. He used a word for them time and time again throughout the New Testament. He called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is to pretend to be something that you're not, to pretend to be someone that you're not. We've got a very recent example in the news, haven't we, Partygate. We've got MPs pretending to be one thing, but actually doing something else behind the scenes. And people, people don't like that hypocrisy. They don't like those double standards. The origin of the word hypocrite is from a Greek play. There was a character who would be masked for the whole duration of the play. His identity would be hidden from the audience. He was the pretender. He was the, the hypocrite. And uh, he would be hidden by these masks and his voice would be amplified and disguised. And people would have to be trying to guess who that person was behind the mask. And so when Jesus criticised the Pharisees, what he was criticising them for was presenting a mask, a pretense to the people, rather than who they really were. And so Jesus borrows this idea from the theatre. And, uh, and this is what he says. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Jesus really could sock it to him when he wanted to, couldn't he? He could really put the weight of what he was saying behind it. On the outside, the Pharisees appeared to be these beautiful representations of religion. But on the inside, Jesus said, basically, you're dead. You're full of dead bones, and actually, you're full of stuff that's actually unclean. You're presenting one thing, Right, the reality is something different. And God sees inside you. He sees what you're really like. We can all give an appearance of a respectable life. We can all give an appearance of spirituality. But God sees us as we really are. He further confronted the Pharisees in John's Gospel. He, says, he said to them this. He said, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. He could look inside them and see, even though they purported to be guardians of, of God's life and God's love and God's law, they didn't have the love of God in their hearts. And what a, what a condemnation to come from the lips of Jesus. You don't have the love of God in your heart. Jesus saw into them and he sees into you and I. He knows what's on the inside of us. He knows exactly as we are. There's a story that's been attributed to Arthur Conan Doyle, who's the, uh, the author of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. A friend of him was convinced that every person, no matter how, how upstanding they were, had a skeleton in the cupboard. No matter how respectable someone was, they'd have a dirty secret. So Arthur Conan Doyle decided to test this theory of his friends. And he decided to pick the most upstanding person he could think of who was an archdeacon of the church that he knew. No one had ever levelled any criticism against this archdeacon. There was no scandal. There was no, nothing uh, on the outside. 
But Doyle went to the post office and he wrote a simple letter to the archdeacon. He said this, all is discovered, fly at once. And the archdeacon disappeared and was never seen again. If you had a postcard dropped through your door that said, all is discovered, flee at once, how would you feel about that? Would you feel like somebody had finally discovered your, your innermost, darkest secrets? Now, that story was published way back in 1897, and we don't know whether it was true or whether it was just a, a Victorian curio, but we, it, it taps into this sense that one day we'll be discovered. One day we'll, someone will see us as we really are, and we'll have to flee because you know, everything will come out. But the good news is, with Jesus, we don't have to flee. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus looks inside you and looks inside me and he's okay with what he sees. He can deal with what he sees. He sees into us and he loves us. That is the beauty and the power of the gospel. He doesn't see your Sunday best. He sees you exactly as you are and he loves you. He accepts you. He welcomes you, and then he begins to transform you from the inside out. We watched DIY SOS again last night. I'm pleased to say Nick Knowles is back in the driving seat. I've missed him. <laughs> and I, I love those programs. It was a particularly heartbreaking story last night about a, a woman who'd lost her husband to cancer and had a family and an unfinished house. And they went in and they did what they do. They swooped in and they, they, they restored it. They transformed it. And those beautiful moments, she opens her eyes and sees this house that she can now live in with her children. Jesus moves into the interior of your house and begins to do DIY SOS. He begins to transform. He begins to knock down walls and take things out that aren't safe and put good stuff in. And, and he, he begins to furnish the walls of your heart and he restores and he heals and he forgives. He works on whatever he finds inside. He doesn't open the door and go, oh my goodness, and walk away when he sees your heart and thinks that's one, that's just a bridge too far for me. That's a real mess. He works on whatever he finds inside. The only thing that prevents him working on the inside is a denial of our real condition. That's the only thing that prevents and stops him working. A refusal to be truly known is the only thing that stops the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. In Luke's Gospel, we find this parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I have fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The man in the story, the Pharisee, is confident in his own righteousness, confident in his own standing, refusing to really be known fully by God, where the tax collector is utterly honest before God. He's broken before God. He's, he's clear about his need of God. 
The one was proud and arrogant, the other was broken and humble. And it was the broken and humble man who Jesus said was justified. The word means was fully righteous before God. It was the man who confessed his need who was actually the righteous one, not the one who was religiously righteous. And Jesus told this story to say again, God looks on the inside. God is looking for reality with his people. He's not looking for a a facade or a mask or something that we present to people to be accepted. It's the man who expressed his need of God who went away justified. And that word there has a deeper meaning. It means the man experienced true freedom. True freedom. You and I experience freedom as we truly come and, and show ourselves before God. That's where the freedom is. Because you spend an awful lot of energy maintaining your facade, don't you? You spend all that time maintaining that exterior to people. In God's presence is one of the few places you can be fully known and fully seen and yet still fully accepted. Intimacy in worship is so important because it's acknowledging something that's already true. God sees you as you are. That's what we're doing when we're experiencing intimacy in worship. It's recognising that we worship a God who sees us as we truly are. There really is no hiding from God. He sees everything about you. Knowing that God knows us like this and knowing that God loves us is one of the most powerful things we can experience on this planet. That you are loved even though you're fully known and fully seen. And all your flakiness and your inconsistencies and all those things that you hate about yourself, God sees all those things and he utterly loves you. Utterly loves you, completely sees you and welcomes you into his presence. Who else knows you? Who else really knows you? You might be sitting next to somebody you think they might completely know you, but there's parts of us that are never fully known. Only fully known by God. God is the one who sees everything, every part of us, even the parts that we think are a bit weird and a bit odd. And do other people have have, have those thoughts and all these things that go around in our mind? God sees all of that and completely and utterly loves us and accepts us. He loves us enough to see all of us and still lay his life down for us. That is the power and the drama of the gospel, isn't it? And knowing that you and I are fully accepted by God means we never have to perform for him. We never have to do things to try and gain his approval. We don't worship from legalism or fear. We worship from acceptance and love. That's when we come into God's presence, knowing that he already loves us. We haven't got to perform for him. He loves us utterly. It's about letting Jesus in, letting him into our lives that we get transformed but that takes real practice because we're not used to being intimate we're used to maintaining a front around other people most of our lives we spend keeping people at arm's length showing them the acceptable face of who we are it takes a real choice to let people in to be vulnerable to let god in i mentioned last week we have a block of worship on a sunday don't we We have a, a, a set of songs normally four or five songs. And the reason we do that is because it takes time for our guards to come down. It takes time for us to, to move away from that exterior that we present actually into the interior of how we really feel and what's really 
going on. And we use the songs and the music and the, and the words to help us become intimate with God. And there are different phases that we go through I want to quickly touch on today as we, as we worship, that we experience on a Sunday. The first is the call to worship. We say, come, let, let's worship. Let's come into God's presence. Let's bring our hearts to him. Let's turn our focus and our attention to him. You can find a call to worship in, uh, in Psalm 95. It says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And later on, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. That call to worship, that's the first choice that we respond to. Are we going to worship today? Are we going to respond to that call to worship? That's the first choice that we have. Are we going to respond to that call? And then we move into something called engagement. And this is when our hearts begin to turn to God, begin to turn away from all the things that we're thinking of, and begin to engage with the songs, engage with the music, engage with the sense of God's presence, and begin to express our thanks and our praise and our adoration to him. And this is where the words of the songs are helpful, but we're not limited by them. We can sing our own songs, express our own words to God. We let worship begin to rise in our hearts. And then we may move into something called expression, where we begin to express our worship to God. It may mean uh, the way we, what we do with our bodies. We may raise our hands, we may kneel, we may be moved to tears, we may experience different emotions as we begin to express to God. And this is really the surrendering process that we go through as we're moved in God's presence. We experience a freedom and a beginning of an intimacy and we let our guards down and we let God in. We begin to engage with him at a deeper level. And then we experience what I've called a visitation. God's presence comes. I don't know how attuned you are to that personally, but God comes by his spirit when we gather together to worship him. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So as you and I worship together, God's presence comes and, and fills the place and fills our hearts. It said in 1 Kings 8, when they rededicated the temple, God's presence came so greatly they couldn't stay. They had, to, they had to leave the temple. His presence was so thick in the temple. And sometimes God comes incredibly powerfully when we worship and we have a, a real sense of his presence. And sometimes it's almost like a butterfly. Just a touch of God that we experience in our souls. But it's that visitation of the Lord and that intimacy and surrender, that's where God does the work. That's where God can bring transformation and healing and wholeness to you. If you let him in. That's where the Spirit can move and do real power and real work. And that's what I've called transformation. God can do things in the midst of worship that can be done nowhere else. It's almost like God can do heart surgery in the midst of a time of worship and really just work so powerfully on the inside, on the stuff that no one else maybe knows about or we've not talked to anyone else about. He can come and work on that and bring healing and restoration and maybe a new outlook or a new belief. Being in God's presence changes us. That's why we do it. We don't just like songs and music. We, 
We want to invoke the presence of the Lord and create an environment of surrender and intimacy because we believe that's where transformation happens. As you reveal your heart to God, he reveals his heart to you. And there's a connection, an incredible depth of connection. And these things don't always happen sequentially like I've put them on the screen there. But these are some of the qualities that we experience in worship. And we have a, the fruit of this intimacy can be a sense of deepening love and God's presence. And it can also lead us to repentance. God can convict us in those times. God can get through to us in a way that nobody else can. Let's look at experience that the prophet Isaiah had. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Isaiah is having like a, like a, a vision of heaven. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that sense of the worship happening in the throne room of heaven that Isaiah has been caught up into. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. That sense of the presence of the Lord. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah is caught up into the presence of God and and the worship there, and he sees God exalted, and he is undone, because he recognises on the inside there's mess, and there's darkness, and there's sin, and there's stuff that's in rebellion against God, and he, he says, woe to me, woe to me. But God sees Isaiah. God knows Isaiah and God has a solution. And it says this, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. A foreshadowing of the power of the gospel. Whatever is on the inside, God can deal with. God can take away the sense of guilt or shame or darkness that we carry. He can, he can bring cleansing and healing and atonement. He can cancel out whatever has separated us from his presence. Sometimes when we come into God's presence, we have a sense that our lives need to change. Anyone have experienced that? Good. Because it should. When we come into God's presence, there should be sometimes a sense of conviction, a reorientation. Our lives need to maybe come back to focus on God, to focus on the importance of God, to focus on where God is leading us. This is one of the uh, fruits of intimacy that we experience as we worship. We get to be honest about how we really are. The songs that we sing are aspirational, aren't they? You know, last week we sang, I surrender all. Anybody in the room currently surrendering everything to God? One person. Great, okay. I surrender all we sing. I surrender everything and nothing less I give you. Everything. Remember those words? We sang that last week. And we sing it with all our hearts and we sing it aspirationally. But in reality, we're not there. We're not there. We're singing about a place that we want to be, something that we want to experience. We're singing about a a goal or a vision for our lives that's, that's in God. And so as we sing those words, we, we voice a desire. 
God, I want to be somebody who can surrender all to you. I want to be somebody who can give you everything. And we sing those words aspirationally. And as we connect with God in intimate worship, God says, okay, I hear your heart, I hear your prayer, I hear your words. Maybe you could do this to move more towards that goal. Maybe for you it's this that you need to do to help you to surrender all to me. And so we have a little conversation in our hearts. As we sing those aspirational words, God says, okay, I receive them and I receive the heart of them. But here's what you can do to maybe move your life towards me a little bit more. And there should be those transactions taking place in worship. Because if they're not, all we're doing is just singing songs, guys. We're just singing songs. If, if we're not actually, if those interactions and transactions aren't taking place, we're just a big choir. And much as I love choirs, worship is different. There's a different dynamic taking place because we're interacting with a living God. And we're singing aspirational words, words of love and desire and hope. And God says, okay, I receive your worship. I receive your heart. I receive the direction that you want to go in. And here's what you can do. Here's how you can move. Here's what you and so there's a realigning of our priorities that can take place in worship. We can leave here on a Sunday with a new goal, a new direction, a new thing that God has put into our hearts, our part to play in surrendering all, to use that example. If we just turn up and sing the songs, we just sing them. And for me, I, I want more out of worship. I want to encounter God. I want to have that interaction. It's the one time in the week when I've got this, this appointment with God and I expect to meet him. I expect him to show up and I expect to, him to reveal his heart to me and I can reveal my heart to him. We can have this interaction and I can go away changed, transformed a little bit more. So next time I sing that song, perhaps I feel like I've surrendered a little bit more to God, to use that as an example. So, if you really want to experience God in worship, it will involve surrender and it will involve intimacy. You all look really excited about that. <laughs> challenging, challenging concepts, particularly if, you, if you, you're used just to thinking about, well, we come to church and we just sing. It's what we've always done. We, we sing songs. We, and there's value in that. There's value in expressing things to God in music. But there's power in worship because God is alive by his spirit and we can interact with him in that place of worship, the place where we're truly known and truly seen and truly loved. It's a place of, of business that we can do. And I've been in times of worship where it's looked like a battlefield because people have been broken before the Lord, broken before the Lord, doing business with the Lord, transformed by his presence. So we don't want our... our our worship just to be nice. Nice is a poor word. We want our worship to be powerful and a place of interaction and encounter. You know, and these guys do their best to lead us in that way, lead us to a place of encounter. That's what they do. They're not looking just to perform a song. They're looking to lead you and I into a place of encounter. You see, we're wired to be loved and we're wired to love. That's how you're made. You're, you're, you're wired to love. And you're wired to receive love. And if you don't give your affection to the Lord, you're going to give it to something else. If you don't give your adoration and intimacy to the Lord, you're going to give it to something else. 
Something else will take the place in your life of the place that, that God is supposed to be. Something will be enthroned in your life that you give your affection and intimacy to. Because that's the way you're wired. You're wired for intimacy. The psalmist had no problem declaring, I love you, Lord, my strength. A lot of men would have trouble declaring that. Because maybe we're not used to intimacy. We're not used to expressing our heart. We're not used to experiencing the depth of love that God offers. The Apostle Paul prayed a prayer, such a powerful prayer. He prayed for us, he said, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And that's part of what worship does. It helps to answer that prayer. We can begin to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God when we come into God's presence in worship. Intimacy and surrender, and we encounter him. It's a place where we're truly known. It's a place where God looks in and sees us as we really are. Why don't you stand with me if you're able? We're going to spend a little bit more time worshipping today. For some of you, these will be difficult concepts we're a reserved people, aren't we, English people? We're so reserved. <laughs> you know, we, we spend our time maintaining a degree of control and, uh, and presentability. But actually, God wants more freedom for us, wants us to experience more liberty, more of his love, more interaction, more, more of, of that intimacy and surrender that is promised to us. I can't make you go there. I can't cajole you to become something. I can't force you. We can play some minor chords on the piano and I can spend about another half an hour. Eventually you break down under, the, uh, under duress. But it's by choice. That's why we've called this series Choose. It's by choice that we enter into these things. God will never make you. Sometimes I've known people experience God's power quite dramatically. But God won't make you come and be intimate with him. God won't make you surrender before him. It's the choice that you have. It's the power that you have. The power that you have this side of eternity that's been granted you by Jesus. It's the most powerful choice that you have is to choose to become yourself before the Lord in worship. So we're going to spend a little bit more time worshipping and uh, let's just see what the Lord wants to do. And maybe, just maybe, make a little more of a step towards him today, whatever that looks like for you. A little bit more of a step towards him in intimacy and surrender. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>